Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers, and today I'm very honoured to have as my guest, a guitarist extraordinaire, Ian Crichton. We'll be talking about music and travels and the business of music, the ups and downs of a, being a Korean entertainer, and we'll get some other insights as well about recording and working on major albums, and, and much more from someone who's been an integral part of the Canadian music scene since the 1970s, uh, best known as the guitarist for Saga. Ian Crichton has been called a virtuoso player and a musician's musician, respected by his peers. So we're happy to have you today. How are you doing, Ian? Hi, Dan. Yeah, really good. Well, good. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, you were a real student of the guitar. I guess, you know, a lot of guys, they, they pick up the guitar and they kind of bang out a few chords and they come up with some tunes and do the Keith Richards thing, I guess, or, you know, the guys that just sort of bang out tunes. And you were more of a, a student of the guitar. Is that a good description? <laughs> well, it kept me out of trouble when I was young. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, I, I just got glued to it when I was very young and uh, spent a lot of time in my bedroom trying to figure out Eric Clapton licks and teach myself the guitar, you know. Yeah. I'm self-taught. So, yeah. Is that right? Eh? You're self-taught. So you never took lessons. You just, you just got the books and kind of hammered it out and played along with other tunes and stuff. No, uh, it was in the seventies. So it was vinyl. And I used to, I was about 12 years old. I used to put my thumb against the record to slow it down. Of course, oh. the pitch of the liquid change and you have to yeah. kind of keep that into consideration Yeah, and, uh, just kind of find my way around octaves, you know, eventually just checking everything out. Yeah. Some books. Yeah. Isn't, I mean, chords and, you know. Yeah. Isn't that interesting that you should say that? Because I mean, the ultimate is whether you can play or not. Right. I mean, I don't care what somebody's credentials are. It's like, can you play? And I, I had a guitar player I went and saw one time and he was fantastic. I couldn't believe how good he was. And I said, well, you got to give me a lesson. So I went over to his house and he goes, well, just to be honest with you, I don't really know the notes past like the fifth fret here. I'm not a trained guy. And he was just ripping and really good. And so that speaks well of you to, to spend that much time to figure it out and do it. Yeah. I mean, I taught myself all the theory and with, with, uh, you know, working with other musicians, just picking up everything as we go and, you know, so, you know, school wasn't needed. I mean, I had no interest in, um, reading music and playing sessions in studios like uh you know a lot of other people which is fine but it just wasn't me you know i wanted to uh yeah. do what i wanted yeah fair enough and and that's the thing i often say you know you learn three chords and you have fun with those chords and then you learn a fourth chord and then you pick up some theory you know to go to a piano teacher and learn scales and stuff is not everybody's cup of tea right it's just not gonna yeah inspire yeah, you yeah yeah. Well, it's funny because I talked to uh, Dave Stone, you know, he, he mentioned you guys when I interviewed him because Dave Stone came out here years ago. He was playing in Symphonic Slam back there and he played in Max Webster and stuff. And he's the keyboard player. And, and he came out here and said that he knew you guys and, and, uh, you know, he was a, a schooled guy, right? I think his dad was a, was a classical pianist or something. So he was from the other side of it, but he mentioned you and how much of a student of the guitar you were. So, Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, our keyboard player, uh, James Gilmore, he's, uh, he went to university yeah. for uh, everything, opera, all kinds of stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, super cool. So for you, like, what was the defining moment for you? Like, when did you think, okay, I can, I can make a career out of this? Or was, were you just a kid that liked guitar or was there something more of a plan there for you? There was no plan at all. I think no. It was just addiction, <laughs> you know? Oh, cool. Uh, I just remember getting this bug when I was 12 years old and I, I just 
couldn't lose it. Just kept going and going and going. When I was about 15 or 16, uh, to try to get some experience, I'd look in the Star paper, Toronto Star, answer all these funny ads. <laughs> yeah. I went in once to audition for a Subway Elvis, who was big in the Toronto oh. area at the time. I don't know if you remember that guy. Yeah, I, I vaguely I do. I do remember that, yes. And so here Sorry. I walk in, 15 years old, hair down to my bum <laughs> with a Stratocaster and a Marshall. And they're a greaseball band, you know. <laughs> yeah, I went yeah, through a few funny. of those uh, Italian yeah. bands I didn't know walked in. It was a bunch of Italians uh, dressed in suits and playing a show band thing. But yeah, oh, funny. Didn't work. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you walk in the door, it was, nope, I don't think so. You know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, so what was your break? Like, what, what, what clicked? Something must have clicked eventually. Yeah, I was. Uh, I think it was. Remember, 18, 17, 18, I uh, uh, hooked up with a drummer, Tom Scott, who's uh, not really known at the time. He's a drummer in the area and offered me to play in. They need, were looking for a guitar player in a band called Kickback, which was yeah. half original, half cover, playing all around Toronto, Young Station, Piccadilly Tube, all these bars that were open, Gasworks. Yeah. And I spent, yeah, I spent a year in that band traveling around Ontario and Quebec. That was my first experience of uh, professional playing on stage, you know. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, and it was an exciting time too, right? For for those who don't know us, us of the older set, I suppose it would be a charitable way to say it, know how exciting it was back then. I mean, music was a big deal. And especially in the 70s, there was so much great music around and so much stuff coming out every week, right? It was a really exciting time in the music world. Oh, it was fabulous. I mean, it was, uh, to this day, I can't ever, I've seen a healthier period I mean, here were all these bands in Toronto, Gatto, Max Webster, even Rush, you name it. Yeah. Everyone's playing their own stuff. I mean, when you start your band, you're starting with original material and mm. being hired for a whole week because these clubs would hire you from Monday to Saturday. Yeah. And you weren't getting rich, but it was enough money to keep the whole thing going. Lots of practice. Never played so much. Every night, yeah. you know, 440s, you know, original yeah, I did all that too. And you know, the old saying, nothing kills a band faster than no gigs. And when you're working six nights a week, you just, you hammer it out. You learn your chops and you get polished and you got these sets that are just flawless at some point because you've played them so many times, right? Oh yeah. As opposed, I mean, and you know, eventually led on to touring all these years for, oh geez, yeah. <laughs> 40 years now of touring, but you don't play as much as the old days. Yeah. You know, but you still got those chops, right? It's like, I like the old it's, saying is that I, I don't always remember everything I learned, but I remember how I learned it. <laughs> well, right. a lot of time, I mean, we have 23 records and, you know, yeah. there's some licks and parts and saga stuff. You have to go, if you're going to play something, you haven't played, well, <laughs> I got to go back and see what I played, you know. You got to learn your own stuff. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, it all doesn't stay in my head. I'm always on the new stuff, you know, I'm yeah. on the new stuff now and, you know. Yeah, well, no, that's cool. And then, so your early bands, I was going to ask you about, because uh, your brother Jim was in Flood, right? So your early band known as The Pockets, it says here, Saga was formed in 77 from the nucleus of that band. What was the deal with that? Your brother was playing in Flood and they had some success, right? Oh, yeah, they were a recording act and uh, yeah. they certainly had success. We're touring Canada wide and, and all that. And uh, the Pilling brothers, Ed Pilling and Brian Pilling. Yeah. And there was tragedy in the band. Brian... Uh, acquired leukemia hmm. and he passed away at 26 years yeah. old, I believe. Wow. And um, 
that kind of finished uh, flood. Yeah. And Jim, my brother, uh, he's three years older than me. I was still in kickback and he was putting together original band. You want to do something to do. And, and I was included. (laughs) Yeah. Well, cool. Well, you were ripping it up pretty good by then, right? I mean, you were certainly a, a <laughs> yeah. competent guitar player, and it was a good good choice, kind of an obvious choice probably, right? Brothers, yeah. I was 20 years old. Yeah. On the first Saga record. Yeah. But what struck me about that was that like, it was a completely different genre. Like, You guys are progressive and more intense, and I guess sim- somebody described it as symphonic rock, what you guys ended um, up doing. So it was a real switch, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, Saga is a cross between rock and prog, really, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a mixture of our stuff. Yeah. But I was curious because Flood wasn't like that at all. Like Flood was more of a, I don't know how to say, but folk. Yeah, they were much lighter. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So was your brother okay with that just to switch to a new genre? Oh, no. Jim was always, <laughs> he was always into <laughs> progressive stuff. Oh, cool. Okay. So that was a natural as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And, and were you guys ever compared to yes or Max Webster or, or any of those bands? Uh, you mean not style wise? Cause we're completely different. I mean, yeah. Max Webster is its own thing, you know, yeah, yes, is its own thing. Saga's got, yeah. So, but with the keys and the, the fast arpeggios and all that cool stuff, I mean, it's lots of neat stuff. And you're doing solos along with the keyboard player, which is kind of cool. I mean, Dave Stone did that in Max Webster, right? A little bit, yeah. We kind of made yeah. it our uh, our things in Saga. Yeah. And then with the genre, you know, I always ask people, because you, you got a record deal. Obviously, you had an in with, with the, the business because of your brother's uh, situation with Flood and you knew the people. I just wondered if you got any... Uh, maybe flack or any, any encouragement from the record company to be more of a straight ahead kind of a band? No, not in the seventies. Um, okay, good. Well, we came out in, in a funny period. I mean, our first record came out, I believe it was, it was actually 78, I think. 78. Yeah. Our record deal wasn't acquired really because we were in other bands. It was our, our, our manager got us a deal with Polydor records, Montreal, um, yeah. on the first record. I think it was three record deal or something hmm. and uh and 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 that's really what started it you know yeah and then but obviously they want to sell units you know so I, I often think you know like someone like billy gibbons would sell more albums than someone like steve vi right you know yeah so that, well they, you know they have songs and hits yeah it's not you know steve vi's uh, guitar extravaganza you know yeah and that has an audience of you know it, it's a different audience you know mm. so um i mean when we came out saturday night fever was on polydor and they were <laughs> the warehouse yeah was packed with saturday night fever and one skid of saga records <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah but they didn't ask us to change or anything they actually expected us and other bands to 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 break out on the third album maybe third or okay. fourth that was sort of the yeah. plan. It was a development thing, which is long gone. I mean, that 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 left in the eight, early eighties, I believe. Yeah, that's a good insight because that's I think that's very true. Like you need the farm team. You need to do a couple. You know, get an album or two under your belt and kind of hammer it out on the road and get some other tunes. And then you get some commercial success and grow from there. Nowadays, it's what do you got? Yeah. 
Well, it was our fourth right. album that uh, went w- worldwide. It was a big hit. Absolutely. But. Yeah. No, it was huge. Still is. It's fantastic. I mean, I was in a band in the early 80s. We learned, as soon as On the Loose came out, we learned it right away. We played, nobody danced to it or anything, but everybody loved it. So we played it anyways. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have a lot of people on the dance floor. <laughs> no, in the but that's okay. Yeah. But then what struck me is, you know, when you look at like Kim Mitchell's career, like with Max Webster, they were very progressive and they did, you know, high class and borrowed shoes and all that really cool stuff. Yeah. But then when, when Kim went solo, he went straight ahead. He went to rock and roll duty and lager and ale and stuff. Right. And he really did make a switch. Yeah. 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 It wasn't quite as proggy. Yeah. Yeah. He went straight ahead, but then he sold more albums and probably made a lot more money in the eighties than he made in the seventies. Right. Yeah. Well, it was still Kim a hundred percent. Absolutely. He just got heavier. Yeah. And, and chunkier and, and less of the, you know, again, a less of the fast chromatic scales and more of the, you know, rock and roll duty kind of stuff where you're doing the melodic solos rather than the, yeah. the shreddy kind of solos. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True enough. A little less Zappa ish. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. But, uh, well, because the thing is, I, I was wondering what the dynamic is like that. That's what gets you in because you're really good at that. And you're not just shredding I mean, you keeping it musical. And Kim was always musical and you are too. So it's not just as my old guitar t- teacher used to say, mowing the lawn. Right? When you're- <laughs> <laughs> that's a good <laughs> phrase. I know. That's Another one mine is I, I dropped out of the Indy 500 about 10 years ago. You know? <laughs> I mean, guys but, uh, just, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what happened in the eighties too. Every, every Eddie Van Halen clone and all the sweep picking and all that stuff, guys in the clubs. I mean, it became right. almost too much, right? It's like, yeah, guys, yeah. You know, like, well, when it rains along, out, I need a steel umbrella so I don't get hit by a shredding guitar player, you know? <laughs> exactly. No, that's cool. But uh, the, so the thing that struck me about you guys, and, and you had said you did 23 albums, but you've like stayed true to what, what it is that inspired you in the first place, I guess would be a good way to say it. Yeah. We, uh, we didn't change. Actually, the style of the band did change once, but not on purpose. It was uh, 1994, and we were down in Los Angeles, and we uh, were hired for a Stephen J. Cannell production of a TV show coming out called Cobra. Right. And uh, he was just coming off the back of all his hit shows, and and they were making this one. And they wanted us to do, well, we did songs in, in the movie, so and an album at the same time, and it just ended up being our album um hmm. i actually really like it but we didn't about face with that record i the audience we went a, we pulled the rug out from under their feet a little bit <laughs> we had to come back when then we came back with generation 13 which is a big uh concept progress yeah yeah well yeah and you have a, a loyal following right and they kind of they like what you do so you don't want to stray too far from that right well we tried and they let us know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, that's the other thing that, that struck me too. You had a fair number of member changes over the years, right? Like yeah. for various reasons. And Well, the, the, the base of the band has stayed. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had, I mean, while you're a singer. Yeah. I mean, we lost our original drummer in 2001, Steve Negas. Yeah. And after that, it was, you know, we had drummers, you know, um, Actually, Steve had gone out a couple a couple of times before that too for yeah. different reasons, personal reasons, getting married, all kinds of things. But uh, yeah, hmm. and then what about the brother dynamic? Because it's it's funny. Like I I played with my brother for a period of time, and you know I, I was the older brother, so I kind of had older brother syndrome. I was 
a bit dominant and I just didn't handle it real well. And the family dynamic in a band can be a little bit odd. How did you find that? Well, for myself, I've never been that kind of guy, but you know, there's a bit of whatever, you know, well, Jimmy's bigger than me. So I just bring a big stick (laughs) (laughs) and he he hits me with a chair, you know? Yeah, there you go. Well, it's it's funny because it's a different dynamic, right? When you listen to Eddie Van Halen and Alex, I guess they were all just bosom buddies. But other brothers, like me and my brother, fought a little bit, but it was mostly my fault. And I just always, I'm always curious about that because it's it's a different dynamic and it can be challenging in a different way. Was that, well, let's put it this way: we were we were t- we were together for uh, you know forty some odd years. Yeah. So that kind of tells you right there. I mean, yeah. In every relationship, you know, there's ups and downs. <laughs> Even, yeah even marriage I yes that. I no <laughs> and uh yeah well that's true especially when you're a touring musician that can be a an added oh, challenge yeah. right honey i'll be back in two months yeah 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 that didn't work well for me i i uh my wife didn't like that at all so uh, i had to either i had to make a choice i guess and everybody does right i don't know if you had the same experience but oh no choice for me no this is what i do yeah. Well, and then, so your brother, Jim, he departed the band and he was back and forth and you guys are still working together, but you have a new member, Dusty Chesterfield. Now that's gotta be the coolest name. I mean, that's right. Dan. Very talented young man. Yeah. Good. And is that his real name? Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's ah, okay. Well, that's, that's too funny. I read that. And the, but so I thought, well, did your brother, did you just get tired of touring? Like you guys have hammered it out. I mean, like one thing that really struck me going through your doing the research for this and that you guys have been prolific. I mean, you cranking out albums, you're touring, you, you guys have never stopped. Right? You're like a machine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like so did Jim busy. get tired of that? This COVID thing is, oh, we won't go yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. It was like, go, go, go. Love it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Which is, which is great. Cause that's your life. But I just wonder if, did your brother get tired of that? Did some of the other guys kind of just get tired of hammering it out on the road? Uh, well, uh, it was a little bit of that. Yeah. You know, it's been yeah. going on a long time. Jim's got other interests also, and, uh, he's working on stuff right now. And, uh, you know, we're not spring chickens anymore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I hired. Yeah. Him. Fair no, <laughs> yeah. Pretty soon yeah. we'll have, we'll send our kids out, put our faces on them as Saga, you know. Well, that's what the guys in Trooper just did, right? You must've seen that oh, with really? Smitty and Ray. Yeah. Well, Smitty and Ray live real close to where I am here and, and they replaced each other. They replaced themselves in Trooper. Oh, Smitty. Uh, Dave, uh, well, Brian Smith. Oh, Brian. The guitar player. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they replaced, Steve Crane's going to take over as the guitar player. And then Dave Steele, famous, well-known guy out in the West Coast here is going to be the singer. So Trooper is going to go out with, with no original members because Brian and uh, Ray decided to retire after the COVID thing. They just said, we're not going to go out again. They're in their 70s now. So Yeah. Yeah, they've had a long run. Yeah. They have, yeah. But to replace yourself, I guess, is, is kind of odd, I guess. But they're doing it. <laughs> I'm just see. kidding. <laughs> but I know people do. I mean. We played with Foreigner and there's been no one original band in or member in the band. Yes, that's, that's right. Cause I saw when they came out here to, to the West coast, they played the river rock and Mick, Mick Taylor, I guess is the guitar player. Right. And he yeah. was, he did a few songs Mick and he Jones. was still in the band or sorry, Mick Jones. Yeah, I get those guys mixed up. It's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he, uh, he played a few songs and he was in the band, but then he was out now he's, he's gone. Cause he's, 
yeah. well into his seventies now. So that's right. They, they play with no original members. Yeah. 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 And still, uh, do some sizable halls. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know what your feeling on that is. I'm, I'm kind of 50, 50. I saw the little river band, which is one of my favorite bands. Oh, yeah. And then I went and yeah. saw them and they were just, I mean, one of the guitar players wasn't even born when sleeper catcher came out or Diamantina cocktail came out. It right. was like, mm, okay. It's, it was okay. Yeah. Well, you know, for, I mean, honestly, it's like a cover band. It is a cover band. Yeah. So to yeah. play a large venue, I do find uh, I'm pretty shocking really, but it works for them. Yeah, I must say, like, if I come and see you guys, I want to see you. Yeah. I want to see you play, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, that's that's the thing, right? Stamp the name Saga on yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. So then I was going to ask you, like, how much success did you guys have in the U.S.? You know, like, was there any, any desire to move down there and kind of hammer it out down there? Because you're a Canadian band, and you've always been kind of proud of that, right? And you're still living in Canada. Yeah, most of it. I mean, Michael, uh, no, Michael's been out of Canada for... Uh, Oh, for years, 35 years more. Yeah. Uh, my brother, Jim, uh, built and ran a studio in uh, Van Nuys, California, Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah, I'm getting the years wrong, but 25, 28 years. He yeah. was producing, engineering. He's had that whole business going. Hmm. And uh, we did every Saga record down at that studio from... 1989 to 2005. Oh, you did? Oh, I, I did not know that. Yeah, we went down to Jim's. It was great. He had a beautiful yeah. studio. It was second to none. It was uh, yeah, three rooms, you know, big Trident nice. console, uh, SSL, two-inch Studer machines, the new, everything. He had yeah. everything. Yeah. And so was he trying to make a, a footprint down there musically or just the studio thing? Because a lot of times, like when Network Records had their thing out here, they sent Bare Naked Ladies, I think, and Sarah McLaughlin and a couple other bands out of LA and they kind of did the 300 mile radius. I don't know if you ever saw that, but they just rode them like rented mules and just made them tour all the time to build the US market, right? Oh, well, Saga was, uh, we toured the US for most of the 80s. We were all over MTV. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've even got a few brochures here of MTV, but obviously that cool. with me on it, but uh, all that changed as the years went on, as we know, uh, yeah. they, they really brought, I mean, we had a lot of hits on MTV. We opened up uh, for everybody in the States for about six, seven years. Jethro Tall, Pat Benatar, Billy Squire, yeah. uh, Foreigner. I can remember all the bands really. Yeah. And we do full tours. We go around the States for two, three months, a week yeah. off, back on tour, two, three months. And uh, that lasted for a good two, three years when On the Loose came out. Yeah. Because wow. uh, that was top 10 down there. Was top. Absolutely. Great, great song. Huge. So you never were encouraged or enticed to move down there? Well, I thought about it, but uh, yeah. I moved to, we moved to the Bahamas for three years. Oh, you did? Yes, we did. We lived in uh, outside of Nassau. For about three years, then I moved to England for about three years. Oh, so for what? Just because it seemed cool, or we're doing a lot of business um, over in Europe, and our management was English. Yeah. Okay. And then the Bahamas. A lot of guys have gone down there to record and stuff. We we actually did a gig at the the Paradise Island there at the Atlantis Resort. Oh yeah, ten years ago. That's where Jim and Mick lived. There. On that little island. The yeah. Uh, it, 
Yeah, no, cool. So, well, I guess that's kind of neat, but I just wonder how it fits into the music biz. I guess you you just figure it's a creative way or nice place to live. Well, we were tour- we were successful. We had we were touring so much that yeah. uh, it was really why not. There was a few reasons, but we were just living down there. I mean, I was living across the street from Compass Point Studios. As I'd come back from tour, big tours of Saga, I have Iron Maiden on one side <laughs> and, no. and uh, Yan Hammer and uh, uh, the Stones guys were down. Yeah, all, they recorded all, all there. kinds. Yeah, they recorded there. Jeff Beck was down the road. Uh, no. Robert Palmer was my neighbor. Cool. Um, pretty wild time being 25 years yeah, so old that's doing a that. Pretty happening, pretty happening place to be. Yeah, it was. I mean, you met a lot of bands, you know. Actually, yeah. I had I had to end. I ended up moving a kilometer down the road because it was just bands all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just rehearsing and playing and getting together. Yeah, I'm just lots lots of you never got away from bands. So I was uh, yeah, and plus the, the the condo that we were in, the water actually came up around the balcony. So I moved to just the other side of the street, so you weren't getting a yeah hit by the waves all the time yeah right oh wow yeah that's i guess that's another factor too so did you get caught up in the rock and roll lifestyle or were you oh, pretty straight laced guy yeah i can see the angel <laughs> on my head there's a you can't see it but there's a circle it's hovering oh there's a couple <laughs> horns in there oh jeez. yeah yeah that's funny well well yeah because yeah. we weren't too bad we yeah. had fun well, it's, you know, it's funny because you listen to the stories of some guys, they get too much too early in life and they're just crazy 20 year olds. You're crazy when you're 20 something right. years old anyways, and then add on a bunch of money and other things on top of that. And then you're yeah. completely bonkers. Sure. Some guys, <laughs> some guys really went off the deep end. I had a bunch of friends that did that. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, you know. Yeah. So the other thing that struck me is that you guys were very popular in Germany and in Europe in general. And worldwide too, and I guess in Puerto Rico, but it's it's funny how certain places just really gravitate towards your music. And I saw lots of interviews, you did lots of interviews in Germany and lots of tours over there, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, it all started, uh, when we started up, we rehearsed in Don Mills in this uh, abandoned Phillips factory for about three months with all this material mm-hmm. that we've written getting it all together, getting ready to play our first gig in a, in a club, which was in Cambridge. It was a Tudor Tavern. It was a hmm. pretty big room. It was like six, 700 people. I think nine no. people were there when we played our first show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, first six months of Saga was, uh, you know, a lot of drunken people in the bars yelling out "Deep Purple," Led Zeppelin, get up, yeah, you know all that. Yeah. It took a few months, and then we, yeah, we started turning people around, getting our own audience. Record companies started looking. You know, you can't do that stuff when you're playing uh, cover songs. You know, yeah. And again, nowadays it would be almost impossible to do anything like that because the venues aren't even there. Oh, right? to- oh, they haven't been there since the early '80s. It. It was play for a whole week in the 70s. Then the 80s came and it was Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. Then it became Friday, Saturdays. Then it became just Fridays or Saturdays. Bring your own audience. I, 
yeah, whole right. thing changed. And it was with the generations too. I mean, back in the 70s, yeah. that was a big deal. All the guys went out to meet the girls and the music and the bars. And that was kind of the thing. As, yeah. as the generations go on and on and on, you know, you know, some of them are a little smarter, stayed in school and don't, <laughs> don't carry on like that, you know. Yeah. Where we're coming off the 60s, remember, you know. Yeah. Well, the live bands were important, right? I mean, we used to say if, if a club didn't have a band, they were dark. You know, yeah. like you couldn't have just a DJ. You have, a, have to have a band, even if it wasn't a great band or it was a different kind of band. At least it was live entertainment. That was really important to that generation. Yeah. Right? So it kind of went by the by. So you've... Uh, you've been over to Germany and Europe lots of times. And then Puerto Rico, I was, I saw that on there and I thought, Hmm, I wonder what the connection is there. Do you see, they just really gravitated towards your music. Yeah. We just ended up being a big hit there right on the first record. Well, that was my first real headline concert ever. We didn't even know where Puerto Rico was. And I just said, we were big down there. We're going to do the show. It was 8,000 seater. Yeah. Sold it out with people outside. And I was used to playing the gas works and, uh, you, yeah. know, clubs, you know, and, um, yeah, it was quite something. Well, that's cool. And then you go, go to your hot spots, I guess. So you're, you, you've been in Europe lots of times. Did I see on your website, you, you've got a tour booked, right? You're going to do a boat cruise and then you're going back to Europe. Is that right? This just in the next few months here? Yeah. May 2nd to May 7th, we're going out for the third time with cruise to the edge, uh, yes, yeah. headline that usually. I think it's yeah, nice. Marillion and a bunch of bands right now. Uh, El Demiola's on it. Uh, cool. All kinds of people. Cool bands. Spock's Beard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that go, that's from the seven, uh, second to the seventh. And, uh, and then I believe we're going to be playing Puerto Rico on the 13th, is looking like. And yeah. then we start in Europe. April, June, June 4th, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Well, cool. So, well, that's good. So it's opened up and you're going to be over there for how long are you going to be there? Well, we, we got most of June, most of July. I'll come back once for that. Go back. Uh, we're starting to have a few shows come in in Canada. We're playing Saskatoon August 19th at that oh, nice. rock festival, Rock the... Rock the River, is it? Or? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, It's in Saskatoon. It's right behind the big hotel. I think they yeah. do it every yeah. year there. I have been there. I've played at uh, the TCU place there and, and done a bunch of shows around there. So I'm very familiar with that. And of course, Bruce and Bernie, who you guys, uh, that's your Canadian uh, people that book you. They're out on the West Coast here, so I know them. Oh, Bernie Aubin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've known him for many decades. Uh-huh. So then I went through your, your, uh, the hits singles that you had, and then you covered Salisbury Hill. I, I didn't actually, I must say, I'm, I forgive me, but I didn't actually realize that. And then I listened to it and it's, it's cool. It's, it's not really that much different than, yeah than the original version, but it's, it sounds cool. What compelled you to do that? You just like the song? Um, <laughs> wasn't really my decision. So oh. <laughs> he stuck as he stepped sideways. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, we did it. We had Graham Lear on drums. The only thing that's different okay. in the song really is a set of drums comes in at the end. Graham Lear, he's played Santana, yeah. Gino Vanelli, Gino Vanelli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was an interesting choice. It kind of struck me. I thought 
that's very unsaga-ish, but it's cool. Everybody likes Peter Gabriel. Everybody likes the song. I just thought, wonder how that came about. I, I said, I have to ask him how that came about. Yeah. <laughs> His yeah. idea was. Yeah, it was uh, whatever. I think that's the only, yeah, that's the only cover we've ever done. Yeah. Well, that's, well, like I said, it's cool. I just was, I was curious because it was very unlike the other stuff that you did before that and since. Right. So. And then, so the other thing is about you guys is like, you, you seem to be playing to your fan base. Like you're not chasing pop tunes and stuff. And then, so on, on the dossier that I read, you haven't had a charting song for a, a quite a while, right? Because you weren't really chasing the, the top 40 tunes. You were just playing to your fan base and playing songs that were reflective of your style. I don't think it really works that way for years and years now, Dan. Uh, we've yeah. had a lot of songs on our records that are, totally i mean really great even better than some of our hits i think i think but just in this day and age i mean radio became uh yeah i mean fish official payola right i mean yeah you know they have meetings in the states uh my brother jim's partner went to them and showed us the the papers, I mean, for this three states for so many months, a hundred grand to play your so I mean, you know, back in the days when we all, not just myself, all the older bands like us, I mean, you just got picked up and played. You now there's a bit of pale and stuff, that's fine. But you know, <laughs> under the old table, I think. But but generally, you know, you just get picked up and played, you know. Uh Spirit of the Radio one oh two, they were really great to us. They played us a lot. Uh, so did uh, so did Chum, and uh, I mean all the, all the stations really. Yeah, and that was for yeah, no money, yeah. you know. Yeah. So now, as yeah. years and years and years went on, that becomes part of the uh, the whole thing. So yeah. that's why we don't have records, you know, uh, the new records. They rarely play uh, any new songs. Uh, we're all in classic rotation, really. Yeah. And all the new songs are, you know, the new genre of music, which is, uh, you know, sequence drums with the melody and, you know, somebody singing on top. Yeah. Yeah. And and what your your point is true of many bands like ZZ Top or Heart or any of those bands can put out new albums, but people at the classic rock stations are playing the, the original hits and that's really what they're mostly interested in. Right? Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. But then I, I read the book Hitmen too, and they talked about the payola thing. And, and like Ian Thomas even said that to me, like, if you don't pay, if you're not greasing palms. So instead of paying the DJs directly, they pay the independent music promoters, which is basically payola one step removed. You got to grease their palm and then they go out and grease the palms. So the record companies can say, well, we're not, we're not doing payola. Nope. We're good. Well, that was the old days. But, but they are. Yeah. That's when uh, Ian Thomas was saying that. But for years, it's yeah. been legal. Yeah. pay up <laughs> yeah yeah and you got to write a big check like you said like you got to have a record company that's willing to yeah to sign the bottom line of a yeah well cool well it, yeah and, and the other thing is again it's a whole different world now of course with the with the internet and stuff but i just yeah. find certain bands are chasing hits and other bands are just being true to their musical selves well that is true mm-hmm. i mean saga i mean yeah i mean the whole career is uh we just look for the next coolest thing that we can write really yeah. with uh nobody mind and I, I i seem to think what you know the audience uh, would expect that from us you know we're not trying to create yeah. something we think they will like you know like for yeah. 
you know, that reason alone. So, yeah, fair enough. And that, that's a good point. And that's, that's what the musicians are more interested in rather than just sort of pablum that's going to get on the radio. They want to hear stuff that inspires you that you're yeah. inspired by. Right. So well, it's kind of hard. The old songwriting formula is really, uh, <laughs> it's really gotten kind of redundant, you know, yeah. you know, here it comes the, you know, yeah. Well, that's true. I asked John Capek about that because I interviewed him and I said, do you see a saturation point at some point? I mean, you know, there's only 12 notes. I mean, there's only so many chord progressions. You've heard it all. And he, and he kind of said, yeah, it, it, at some point you're just regurgitating a lot of the same stuff, songs that you're, they're so familiar. You kind of heard them before, even though they're original. Yeah. Same. In, yeah. But having said that, Put on your thinking cap. There's all kinds of things in music you can do. You know, inside there, yeah. there's twelve notes, but there's you know a bunch of octaves and you know, yeah. Finding new ways to to stretch out without being a slave to chasing a, a what you think is going to be a, a hit song. Uh, verse, place chorus, from verse, chorus, tiny middle section, yeah. gone. See ya. <laughs> three minutes and three seconds, and have a nice day. So then I was going to ask you about the, your singer, Michael Sadler, right? He's been in and out. He kind of left and then came back in the band. I was curious about that. Was he get fatigued or burned out or tired of the road? Or was there some internal dynamic with the band? Uh, Cause he's back with you now, right? Yeah. He's been back for years. Yeah. 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 He was out for uh, three, four years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just decided to do different things. Uh, you know, did a uh, solo record um, and a bunch of things like that. And we did a record with Rob Moratti, which was uh, fabulous. Yep. I mean, it's, it sold great. It was, but you know, everyone was in tune with Michael. Uh, Michael is the voice of Saga, and yep. um, it worked live for a couple of years, and then it's you know it's getting a little weird. So, yeah, yeah, fair enough. And I, I guess. I've often said with bands, like you're interdependent in a way that you aren't in other jobs or in other situations, right? Like you really do rely on each other. I mean, if you weren't there, it would be a serious thing, right? That's going to rattle everybody and you're interdependent. <laughs> I would like to think so. <laughs> well, for sure. I mean, when you carve no, out Michael a style, would have it's gone in two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you're out of here, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. just the guitar player. That's right. Well, that's, we have the old joke, like how, when people say, how long's your band been together? We always say long enough to hate each other, <laughs> which is kind of a joke, but it's, uh, yeah, well, you know, you go that through. way for us, really. We're going on, oh my God, 45 years now. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> well, you work it out. You still right? look good. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So I'm told. You're still, you're still mowing the lawn. <laughs> we won't go there. Yeah. That's too funny. So, so how many live shows are you going to do? Like you were doing lots before now, but you'll, you're going to get back up and running to full speed. Or are you going to kind of do medium? Um, I will go full speed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, the year's sort of planned out now as we got it right now. It's full okay. June, full July. we got shows in uh, August. Back to Europe in October, back to Europe in November. Oh, wow. Playing, um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty busy year already. Yeah, cool. Well, you like to tour, obviously, right? So I like to play, some yeah. Guys, yeah. I don't like Well, yeah. yeah. 
and you guys are known for your live, I mean, your live shows are great. I've, I've watched a bunch of videos and stuff and it's really tight and really just exceptionally good, but that's your thing, right? You want to, you want to make sure you go out there and, you know, sort of kick the door in and make sure everybody knows you're there and it's great. Yeah. It's really it's always great playing around too, especially far away places. Cause you know, the set can remain, but yet the new audience, you know, hasn't heard that. So, you know, it's always great yeah. to. Yeah. And uh, so tell me about the, just about your guitars, that blue guitar endorsement that you, that you're involved in too. You have, that's a guitar processor that you take with you. Is that. Oh, uh, the amp one blue guitar. Yeah. Blue. Yeah. Yeah. That's Thomas blue. He's a, a German guitar player. And yeah. uh, he also makes uh, these things. Yeah, I did see the interview. It's it's cool. He, so he designed that for himself, and then I guess he thought, well, I can I can sell this to other people too. Yeah. Well, he's done a really good job. I mean, it's it's a hundred watt tube amp. It's more of, more of a preamp, really, but it's it's like an amplifier. Yeah. It's it's got a Russian nano tube in it, a tube, and uh, hmm. it sounds great. It's got uh, sixteen and eight ohm outputs for your cabinets i have this thing in saga on four and i'm asked to turn down this little thing it weighs about two three pounds i can put it on my carry-on you know we do cruise to the edge and all these strange panama and all these strange places sometimes i get um production supplied and marshall's i love marshall's but they're a crapshoot i mean you get a really good one. You get a really bad one. I was I was really tired of that. So this has really solved my yeah. problems. Yeah, you sound the same everywhere. You know. Well, it's you no, know, it's totally right because I've done lots of shows where the Marshalls. I'll go up and try it, and I'll turn the mid. It's really midi, and I'll turn the mid tone right off, and it's still too much. Yeah. It's still there. And it's just annoying, and I'm like, oh. Well, man, I've, I've been endorsed stuff. by Diesel Amp for a bunch of years. <clears throat> yeah, they're, they're fabulous. German Amp Diesel. Yeah, yeah I've got the Herbert. Cool. And I've done nice. a human condition record with that alone. And yeah. uh, I'm very happy with that sound. So when you're doing live shows, you got the marshals up there, but you, you plug that unit right into the 412 cab. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that that's, see, I ended up getting an EQ just, just to actually fix that. So I can pull out the tones that I don't want. And, and it's, it's less elaborate than what you've got, but at least it works. At least if you have that annoying mid tone, you can get rid of it. There is a, a tone. My sound man says he's got a dial out of it. Uh, yeah. I can't quite hear it on stage hmm. through the Marshall. It sounds nice and fat and stuff. You know, if you stand beside the Marshall yeah. and it's at waist level. And I also yeah. use a baffle. A black okay. square with a rug on the other side, actually, just to stop mm -hmm. it. So it sounds great. You know, I mean, uh, marshals are, they're deadly at eight, 10 feet away if your head's in their yeah. direction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And then you're playing a Les Paul, but you play, a, no, there's I'm a not, few different I played a Les Paul in years. Yeah. Cause there was some old videos of you. And then I was going to ask you what your, what's your favorite guitar these days? Well, I always hated that Les Paul. It's all over the place. <laughs> I mean, the story with that thing is uh, first keyboard player, uh, Peter Roshan, was working for a company, uh, Noranda or something. He, they were uh, distributing a bunch of stuff. One was Les Pauls. And he, I went down to a warehouse in Mississauga, and there was a stack of, wood, of uh, cardboard cases with Les Pauls in it, and I just grabbed one, and that was my oh. Les Paul. I mean, yeah. You know, opened up the box, surprise. 
I never liked it. I, I'm more of a strat guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I just find them heavy. They're all, they don't feel that great in the baseball bat neck and stuff is not. Well, the ones in the sixties are out. I mean, outstanding. They're worth a fortune, but I, I love those last balls. So it's just when they started rebuilding them in the seventies. Yeah. So what do you play now? What's your main guitar now? My main guitar is uh from made by Joe Lado, yeah. Lado guitar from the Toronto in the seventies. Okay. Um it's looks like a Stratocaster, but it's not. Yeah. Um and I'm endorsed by uh Ernie Ball Music Band. I have two of those guitars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're nice. And what do you use for pickups in there then? Um I like a EMG. Yeah. EMGs. Uh w- one of my guitars, uh, one of the uh, Ernie Balls is active. That's my only active guitar. Yeah. I'm not really partial to that. That's uh, cool because I have active. You have active, yeah. I, I don't play, I can't. Yeah, it's interesting because I have active EMGs too and I never thought I'd like them, but I bought a guitar and it had them in them and I thought they sound pretty good. They're humbucker pickups, they're active and, and they're, I think the Zach Wild ones or something, they sound really good to me. They're great for big chords and all this kind of stuff. But normally I play a passive guitar. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's cool. So I was going to ask you too, I usually ask people about their music career. It's always a series of ups and downs and and the best of times at times and the worst of times. And and uh, looking back on your career, is anything that you would change or that you would have done differently that maybe some decisions you made or oh, management yeah. or record companies? All that stuff is personal preference, even guitars. Yeah. You know. <laughs> there was yeah. a few of those, can't mention a lot. But, um, uh, let me think here. Um, if honestly, actually we, you know, we started getting really big in the States and we had the record, uh, worlds apart with on the loose on it. Then the next album we put out with Hazard tales that did really well. And then we put out uh, a album called behavior and we kind of changed on that record. Actually visually too. Uh, I, I had my hair cut. And I think the audience that we were um, coming on to saw us a little slick. Things uh, started to change a little bit at that rate, you know? Yeah. So you would have just stayed on the path that was serving you the best and and maybe stayed in the States or tried to... uh, Don't go changing. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because they say, well, this has been successful. We need more of this, or that's a great song on the loose. But you don't write five more on the looses, right? You just write other songs. Yeah. Well, I think we're actually, you asked me a a, a little while ago where we pressured by the record company. That was mainly on our first record. But we yeah. were getting a little pressure on that at that time to be a little more hip and, well, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I don't think that worked well for yeah. us. Yeah, fair point. Because uh, you know some of the bands, like like I read Slash's book, and he said they they wanted him to audition for Poison, right? <laughs> they wanted him to be wearing spandex and stuff. <laughs> he goes, "There's no way I'm doing that." So you know, it was kind of an odd time. There was the new wave bands, there was the glam bands, and then there was the heavier sort of down and dirty bands, and then the progressive. I mean, it was an odd time, right? There was yeah. a lot of different yeah. No, it was um, swirling around, I guess. Yeah, and then crept into the grunge and yeah eventually by the end of the 80s yeah so interesting time so so i guess what you're saying is staying true to what brought you to the dance would have been the best way to to go yeah yeah i think it is yeah once once you uh you know once you really accept that people really like your band don't you know 
Yeah. Don't go changing. Yeah. So did you have manager issue? Did, were you ever taken advantage of? Did you, did you get shafted by anybody? <laughs> so, Next <okay>. question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess that, I mean, that's a common story, right? It's, it's too bad, but I mean, I guess they, they look at it like we're making you a star, which isn't really true, but I guess they give you the platform and then they figure they can. Yeah. It's not really that. You just got to watch people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, well, it's a sad story. I mean, look at, look at guys like Billy Joel, who, I mean, his manager took tens of millions of dollars from them and he ended up uh, having to take him to court and stuff. There's so many stories like that. It's a, it's, it's not good, but yeah. Well, you got to watch the guy hanging on your money. That's definitely learned that. Yes, for sure. And somebody you trust that, uh, that can look after because you're, you're focused on what you do well, right? Which yeah. is touring and writing songs. And Yeah. So ultimately it's nice to have somebody to take care of all the business, but you have to keep an eye on things, you know? Yeah. Fair enough. So you're not, uh, well, I guess the reason I ask that is because, you know, some guys end up bitter and frustrated and I've talked to a few people who just got shafted and one person had to claim bankruptcy because they got shafted so badly, but you're not bitter about it. You just kind of carry on and you, you've done okay anyways. So. Yeah. Wow. I haven't really talked about it. Have we? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't like to air my dirty laundry, you know? No, that's fine. Just, yeah. There's I all guess, that crap, you know, but, um, yeah. Uh, let's put all that to bed because in 2005, I straightened the whole thing out. Um, and we've been running ourselves since then and it's been great. Oh, nice. (laughs) No hands in the pot, you know? Yeah. Nice. Well, that's, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that. Cause once you get a bit older and you've got a bit more savvy with the business stuff, you go on, I'm going to look after my own life here and let the chips fall where they may, but that's, no, that's good. That's a good story. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Some people get consumed by that. So, so tell me, what do you do other, outside of playing guitar? Do you have any other hobbies? Is there anything else you do that's a, that's a passion for you? Um, I don't. I, I, I used to golf a lot, but uh, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Excuse for a good walk, you know. <laughs> oh, I sucked so badly. Last time I golfed, I was so bad. I said, I'm never doing this again. I sucked so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I hear I you. I up every shot on the fairway now. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's well, not, I, know, it, it, I, always, when I hit the fairway, you know? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I always ask because, um, you know, some guys are, are quite good. Like when I talked to Ken Tobias, he's a wonderful artist. Like I was shocked at how good he is at that. And some, the creative oh, yeah. people have other outlets, you know, but Ken Actually, Tobias I am is getting a, into painting. Yeah. That's, that's new for me. I'm, I'm quite interested. Yeah. Cool. Well, cool. Yeah. Oil paints. It's, paint yeah. my dog. Well, it's, it's a creative outlet, right? So, yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your bucket list? What do you got left to do? You're touring, you're going to do another album. It's, you just did the acoustic album, which just came out, right? Yeah. That, that's right. just coming out. I noticed that you did two things. You did a greatest hits album just recently, right? Of all the hits that was last within the last couple of years. Oh, the record company did that. Yeah. 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 And then you did an acoustic versions of your songs. Yeah, I messed them up. Some of the arrangements changed and all that. We rewrote yeah. some of the endings, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, cool. That's, uh, well, again, it speaks to the, how prolific you guys have been. I mean, you're still working and doing and staying active and yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I must say. Yeah. It's, uh, it'd be easy to kind of wrap it up, but if it's what you do and what you like to do and you just keep, uh, keep moving on. So, and you're touring and you're recording and stuff. So that speaks, speaks well of you guys. 
Yeah, we're all we're all a little different. I mean, in this day and age of COVID, it's really taught me that I'm not interested in in retiring. <laughs> yeah, I just I, yeah. I don't want to be sitting by the lake looking out at the you know the water myself. You know, I just yeah want to be doing something. Well, fair enough, and that that's a good that's a good uh, motivator. Like the Stones talk about that too, right? I mean, the word retirement shouldn't it's not in my vocabulary. I don't even think in those terms. I'm going to do what I can do as long as I can do it the best I can. Yeah, yeah, that's about it, isn't it? So that's uh, yeah. I mean, that's and and still we got a few years left to go here of, to of being productive and stuff. Yeah. And you got your fan base, and it's good. Yeah. Well, I do have a dream of well, awesome a helicopter of, fl- of flying a helicopter. Flying a helicopter, yeah, it's been going on for years. Oh, really? Yeah, that'd yeah. be a different change of. Yeah, and are you going to do it? You... We, it's a lot of entail, and at my age, I, I'm not sure that's really, you know, the yeah. right not the right way to go yeah. at this point. But yeah, well, you get to take a ride anyway. I've I've taken a few rides in them, but uh, I don't know if I'd want to pilot one. That would be a little freaky. But <laughs> oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. Well, good. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. I, I, I try to, you know, talk about different stuff, being a, a musician myself and out in the West Coast and, and uh, getting a chance to talk to guys like you who I've listened to for years and, you know, just excellent player, great band, and just happy to hear that you're happy and you're touring and you're recording stuff makes, makes me happy too. So, Awesome, Dan. Yeah, yeah, it's been really nice talking to you. All right. Many thanks to Ian Crichton for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his incredible experiences in the music business. And more information is available at sagagen.com. That is the official uh, website, I think, now. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and we invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. And you can also become a member if you'd like notifications and other inside information and perks. We'd love to have you on board and listen to Dusty Discs Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan Hammond.